We are in Romans 8. We finally got to chapter 8. And that's an exciting place to be. Why did you go so fast? <laughs> well, it is all recorded. So <laughs> we will help you get the app on your phone and download it, and you can play it right from there. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, as Mark mentioned last week, um, chapter eight is is it's going to be fun. We're going to enjoy it. There's so much here. Um, it's it's going to be like eating a giant juicy steak if you like steak, and if you don't, then something else you enjoy. But um, there's there's so much excitement and so much here for the believer and the lover of Jesus that uh, we could we could sit on this for longer than we will. Um, we're not going to squeeze everything out of it that is there because uh, because it would just it would take so long to get through. Uh, but we'll get as much as we can out of it. Um, I'm going over verses 1 through 4 this morning. And that, that feels like a lot. There's, there's more to say on all this than I could possibly put in all my notes. Um, and I tried to just tried to narrow it down to what, what we'd be able to fit in the class. So I hope we can. And um, we'll, we'll see as we go through it. But please speak up or ask questions as we go. And I'll, I'll try and have the answers for you. And if not, then we'll get back to you on this. Um, doing some of our, our study and research, uh, a lot of it, um, there, there's lots of commentary on this, and it's really exciting. But one of the cool things that uh, I found that a lot of people say is, is this example that if the Bible is seen as a, a ring, like a wedding ring, something very beautiful and nice, um, just gorgeous, that Romans is the diamond on that ring. Um, and chapter 8 in Romans would be that apex cut, that perfect, spotless um, piece of the diamond in that, in that ring. Um, so here we are. We're starting in chapter 8, and there's just so, so much to be going over. Um, the first half of chapter 8, we'll see it's all about um, the Holy Spirit. We'll continually see Paul bring up the Holy Spirit. And we'll see Spirit listed with a capital S 17 times within the first uh, 27, 28 verses. If you wanted for fun, you could go through, yeah, 27 verses. And just circle or highlight all the times you find Spirit. And then compare that to the first half of Romans, all the way back from chapter 1 up till now. Uh, I only found it four times mentioned until now. So he mentions is the Holy Spirit four times, and then at this point in chapter eight, he talks about it seventeen times and twenty-seven verses. So uh, Paul's making a huge point here, and he's very excited about it, and uh, we need to take note of that too, and we will as we continue to go through it past past even verses one through four. We get to see the power of the Trinity at work right here in the first four verses. So that's great, and we'll talk through that. Um, but in verse 1, we'll see it's about justification in the Son. And then verse 2, it's about liberation by the Holy Spirit. And verses 3 through 4 um, are talking about the Father's condemnation. And we'll get into that too. So before we read the text, let me pray for us, and then we will dive right in. 
Lord, I thank you so much for the time that you've given me to study and look at this text and learn from it. And uh, thank you for just slowing us down to the point where we can we can find the jewels in your word and in your truth. And I pray this morning that I can uh, share a piece of that with your people uh, here in in this church, Lord. And I pray that we can fellowship together and learn. Um, I pray that I can uh, teach in a way that is acceptable to you, but it can help us all and that your word can just reveal so much to our hearts and allow us to love you and love your word even more. And I pray in your name. Amen. All right. Let's just read through it. So, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is so exciting. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right off the bat, you can see there's a ton in those four verses. There's so much to go over. But verse 1 is just super exciting. If, if we're reading this, and it says therefore, what's the first question we have? What is the therefore, therefore, right? We need to look back. Um, so first question to you in the class is what is the therefore, therefore? Yeah, so we're seeing this verse as kind of a culmination of the entire book of Romans so far, because Paul has spent so much time explaining everything um, from the beginning of this letter until now. And remember, this is a, a letter that he wrote to the church um, that, that is meant to be read through fully, and you can read it through fully in about 30 minutes if you just read through it. It's also good to stop and slow down, right? So that's what we're doing in this class, is making sure that we understand it verse by verse. But you got to look at it as a whole. And right here, Paul's pulling from, from the very beginning. He's, he's pulling it back in to the, the picture here. So we get the big picture that because of everything that he just went over, including chapter 7, which is a huge, huge relief and and it's kind of scary to know that we can be that sinful still even if we're as as holy as paul would be um that even though that is true there is still no condemnation for those who are in jesus christ so he's pulling it all back together and that therefore is reaching all the way back to the beginning um, and it's taking everything that we've learned up till now into view 
to this point. So the now is also important. What does the word now indicate? Therefore, there is now no. Yeah. Now that he's accepted Christ, he's a Christian. So does that mean there was a time that he wasn't? And that uh, there was a time that the church that he's addressing wasn't? Right? Okay. So that means we're in that same boat too. There was a time in our lives where we weren't in Christ. So that means we were condemned. So prior to Christ, we were all condemned. Everyone is. Um, and a quick note on that is lots of times when we do share the gospel, we're, we're reluctant to talk about the condemnation that is in that person's life in that moment. That's probably one of the hardest things to do in sharing the gospel is tell them that they're condemned where they stand and everything that they have done till now is worthless. And that's part of the truth of the gospel that if that's not there, if they don't have anything to worry about and be concerned about, the gospel's not very exciting because if they're not condemned, why do they need saved? So it's something to consider and there's a right place and a right time for that, but it needs to be said eventually in your discussions with your friends or your family or... Yes, Mark? There's no good news unless there's bad news, right? Right. Can't be good news without bad news. They have to yeah, have... It's just news. Yeah. So, yeah. you got to know what you're saved from, right? You have to know what you're saved from. All right. Now to the word no. Uh, I learned in the Greek... This is the strongest sense of the word no. Marx exemplified that for us a couple times where he says, no, right? That's how Paul's speaking. Um, this, this word no is powerful. Um, and originally, it was at the beginning of the sentence. So how Greek is written, they put a very important word that's used to emphasize and be at the strongest sense it can be at the beginning of a sentence. We don't speak like that in our language. We don't necessarily use it that way, but um, I learned that that's how it was written, that the no was at the beginning, and it says no. Um, there is no, con uh, therefore, no, there, therefore, condemnation for those who are in Christ. So it starts with the no to emphasize the importance of it, to really push forward that it is not there for those who are in Christ. So that's exciting too. It's not kind of like a, I don't think so. It's a hard no. So would that be the beginning of the sentence? No. Correct. All right. On to your first line there. Since God the Father does not condemn Jesus, nor will the Father condemn those who are in Jesus. For we are one body. Now if someone grab Galatians 2.20 and uh, John 
read those out loud for us. Okay, go for it. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up to me. Okay, great. And then John 17, 21. Great. Okay, two example verses that you can go back and look into uh, later as you want, but um, just reminding ourselves and and the reader and um, the importance of knowing that we are one with Christ when we become a believer. We become in Him, and He is in us, and uh, we are we are one together. We are His body, and He is our head. He is the head of the body. Okay, so where we go? Condemnation in Latin means damnation. We see that Paul only uses this exact word three times in all of his writings. And it's all in Romans. Verses 5, or chapter 5 and verse 16, verse 18, and then the one we're reading right now. So I'm turning back to 5.16 for you, and I'll read that out loud. Here he's talking, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Okay, two verses down, he uses it again. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. So that damnation came to who? We just said it. All. All. Not a specific group or not those who don't please God in their works or don't acknowledge God. It's all men from the beginning because we're all fault, right? We're, we're all in that same state and all in that same status that Paul spent so much time explaining over the last several chapters of our nature and our nature in Adam. So this verdict in verse 1 is not that there's less condemnation that there's not as much or that we're in more favor on a scale it's it's not that and some people might think that and might say that and people that don't know the bible who aren't truly christians even if they think they are um, there's always an aspect of earning it ourselves right and this just isn't the case here on your next line, we are either 100% all in Jesus with zero condemnation or we are 100% not in Christ. And we'll face the total 
condemnation of God. This is just as important for us as believers as it is for those who aren't believers, who don't know, or who falsely claim that they're Christians. This needs to give us such confidence, such excitement, such grace and mercy in our heart to know that we're in and there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ anymore. And we are saved from that. It's 100%. It's all, all in or all out. And we can have that confidence and reassurance every day of our lives. We don't always wake up that way, but that's why studying the Word and knowing it and remembering it and going over it and going back to this is so important. Some of those days where you wake up and you just don't feel like you did the day before or don't feel like God's there listening or you don't feel any of these feelings that the world tells us we should have, we aren't to trust those. We aren't to have faith in our feelings. We aren't to have faith in God's Word, which we put our, our trust in and its authority. Those who are in Christ Jesus are united with Him as the head of the body. And we can see that in these other three examples that I got. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.27, Ephesians 5.23, and Colossians 3.15. Let's flip to Colossians real quick. If I can have someone just read that one. And I'll leave the other two for you to read on your own later. Colossians 3.15 Who has it? I have it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So moving into verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life and... Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 2 is an explanation for, for verse 1. Um, and we can look at that and dissect that a little bit. So what is the law of the spirit of life? Is it the Mosaic law, first off? First thing you notice reading it, the word law, is it lowercase or capital? And what does that indicate for us if it's lowercase? Okay. So then what is it if it's not that, if it's not the Ten Commandments or the law of God? What is he referring to here? Freedom from the 
Let's flip to Romans 3.27. Back a couple chapters there. And it reads, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Okay, there, lowercase law there. And let's flip to Galatians 6.2 real quick as well. Just get another example. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Lowercase law. Okay. So these are two examples of a law that Paul's talking about here in Romans. And it's a, a law of principle. It's um, principle operation and how we are to live as Christians and as followers of Christ. Um, like the law that, yeah, is, yeah, it's a moral law, I'd say. Um, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the, the life that comes into us through the spirit when we're saved and when we're those who are in Christ, referring up, up one verse right there, um, it's, it's really a change of heart that we've had, right? Our heart has been changed from a stone to, to flesh and to living flesh. It's, it's not God's law um, in the Ten Commandments specifically. This is a, the principle of an operation. So it's, it's how we're acting and how we're um, relating to one another and how we see Christ now and how we see His Word and how we see the truth. It has set us free from the law of sin and death. There's three more examples I put down in um, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. John 8, 32 and 36. And in Romans, there's several that um, go hand in hand with verse 2 here. And they're, they're helpful as well. I'll flip to 1 Corinthians. If someone can go to John 8. And then if another person can go to Romans 6. Let's read these out loud. So 1 Corinthians 15, 45. <coughs> Reads, So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He became the life-giving spirit. So let's look into John 8 real quick. Verses 32 and then 36. Who's got that for us? And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Awesome. Thank you. And does someone have Romans 6, 14, and 18? 
Yeah, 7 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Awesome. Thanks. So the, these verses are all looking at um, us <laughs> being able to see the truth, to hear the truth, to know that it's truth, being freed from the bondage of sin that we were in, which is our original nature, which is what we were born into, um, which is where we start. And we're freed from that. And we have the Spirit of Christ in us now, and that is what has set us free from that law of sin and death that was holding us there, that was only allowing us to obey our flesh, ourselves, and not um, God and Christ in what he has set for us. I want to read uh, a commentary now um, from John MacArthur that I just I thought was great. It's looking, looking back at Romans 7. Uh, the truth of Romans 7 are among the most depressing and heart-rendering in all of Scripture. And it is largely for that reason that many interpreters believe that they cannot describe a Christian some think they're describing other non-Christians, right? We talked about that. Mark brought that up. But Paul was simply being honest and candid about the frustrating and discouraging spiritual battles that every believer faces. It is, in fact, the most faithful and obedient Christian who faces the greatest spiritual struggles. Just as in physical warfare, it is those on the front lines who encounter the enemy's most fierce attacks. But just as frontline battles can reveal courage, it can also reveal weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Even the most valiant soldier is subject to injury and discouragement. During his earthly life, the Christian will always have residual weakness from his old humanness and old, the old fleshly person he used to be. No matter how closely he walks with the Lord, he is not yet completely free from sin's power. That is the discomforting reality of Romans 7. But the Christian is no longer a slave to sin, as he once was, no longer under sin's total domination and control. Now he is free from sin's bondage and his ultimate and its ultimate penalty. Satan, the world, and his own humanness can still cause him to stumble and falter, but they can go no longer, but they can no longer control or destroy him because of his new life in Christ. And it is the very divine life of God's own spirit. That is the comforting truth of Romans 8. So again, looking back to 7, as we discussed at the beginning, this is referring to that and all the way back to the big beginning of Romans. But seven can be so disheartening. So Mark was so bummed to not teach this class uh, on eight because he spent how many weeks just going through seven all by himself and I didn't help him at all. <laughs> um, 
But it's truth, and truth isn't always going to feel good. It's going to hurt, and that's why so many will reject it as well. And again, we don't want to put our feelings before the truth. We don't want to give our feelings authority over Scripture. Scripture has authority over our feelings, so uh, we always got to keep those in check. And that's what we're here to do together as a class and as a body living one together as we, as we do. So liberation by the Spirit has set us free from total depravity. So that's where we were. We were completely deprived of God's nature. And now we are liberated by the Spirit, the Spirit that has come inside of us that changed our heart and now allows us to see the truth. As we read through those other example verses, we can see it now and we know the truth. So we're liberated in that. We are released from the death grip of slavery to ourselves. We aren't just doing what our fleshly bodies and minds want us to do uh, without any consideration of, of God or the truth. It has, has a past tense. Now it began at our moment of belief. Right? Jesus Christ has set you free. So that's past tense. It happened once. Um, it's not something that you're freed a little bit and then a little bit later you're freed a little bit more. It's, it's you are set free from the bondage Again, as MacArthur clearly states, it's not that we won't sin again or that we're completely separated from it during this life because we're, we're in this body of flesh which was born into this nature of Adam. This hasn't gone away yet. When it is dead, then we will be completely set free from sin. And we'll no longer sin again after that. And it, that is a... A truth to look forward to and to be excited about. That we won't have that struggle after the human life has ceased. We have a new governing power in our life. And it's not us. And praise God for that. Because many times we make the wrong decisions. The Spirit allows us to live a life of righteousness and holiness pleasing to the Father. The Spirit has set us free to please Him now. And our hearts are changing evermore to stop pleasing ourselves and look to please Him. Okay, Romans 3.8. Now we're looking at the condemnation by the Father. So, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now I underline a couple words in that for you because in our Bibles, probably, um, yours are italicized, mine are. So we'll get to that in a second. But I'm um, just pointing that out for you real quick. So here we see an explanation of the law. The law has the power to tell us what to do, but it does not give us the power to do it. And our sinful nature is what's in the way of that too. So in that sense, the law has weakness because it doesn't allow us to obey it. It just tells us 
what to do. And it really explains and expresses to us what we just can't do when we study it enough and look at it in the light of truth. The law cannot make men righteous, but can only expose their unrighteousness and condemn them for it. We've gone over the law quite a bit, just here in Romans, but even more so in the larger spectrum of teaching throughout everything that we learn in this church together. The weakness is not in its teaching, but in its power to be obeyed because of our fallen nature. God doesn't only pardon us of our sin, He also delivers us from the power of sin over us. You've got to remember that as well. It's all God's doing. So, in the original text, it literally reads, without those underlined words that were added by our translators to help us understand, they don't change the meaning of the text, but it literally reads, God, comma, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Did you catch that? Halfway through the, uh, the verse there. God sending His own sin in the likeness of sinful flesh and an offering of sin. So He sent His Son, who we know, Jesus Christ, but He sent Him in the likeness of our flesh. So it was like our flesh, right? Of course, He is without sin. We all know that. But he sent him for sin. <laughs> and we know why they added that, right? It helps. Makes it clear that it's to take care of the sin. It's to pay for the sin. Might not be as clear to us in English as it was to them in, in the Greek. Um, so that's, that's why it's in there. That's why it's italicized. But it's good to know that, and it's good to be able to point that out for someone who may have a question on that. He condemned sin in the flesh. So on the cross, for us, in our place where we stood condemned, and Christ condemned sin in the flesh. And He took all of that on Himself. The Father placed it on Him, and He took it as a sacrifice Upon him for everyone, for all. The Son becomes like us in flesh, yet without sin, and breaks the power of sin in our lives. So that not only are we righteous in God's sight, but we can live in his likeness. having been delivered from the condemnation of sin and the power of sin in our daily lives. Again, Christ's work on earth 
was perfect, utterly perfect. But if he wasn't crucified and his blood wasn't spilled on the cross, that perfection wouldn't have paid our penalty. And we'd still be condemned. We need that penalty paid. There was a substitution for a long time with the Jews that God set up for his people to carry on until this time, until when Christ came to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the Jews and for the Gentiles. So God sent him, but he had to send him in the flesh. It had to be of our flesh and of our blood. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice. Just like the lambs were supposed to be spotless and pure as much as they could be. But Christ was the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And they condemned sin in the flesh. That flesh that just prides itself over everything else in this world that we've all lived in. That we feel pulling on us every single day. That we didn't quite feel when we weren't followers of Christ. Right? All those desires that we had and the struggles weren't necessarily struggles all the time. Some of it was, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. And then as he changes our heart, as that spirit comes into us, he changes us into the person that he planned for us to be before the world began, our heart changes. And all of us in different ways from day one. Some may be able to stop a really bad habit, or some may be able to share the gospel with everyone they see as they walk through a store, while others are, are scared to death to even try because, well, we don't know enough. i got to learn more before I can share with anyone, right? It, it affects all of us in different ways, but we all have a starting point. And then as we go through sanctification, as we start off being sanctified, but then we grow in our sanctification, those things change. And that spirit in us is what's leading us and driving us. It's what's bringing you here now and wanting to be a part of this. You're here early on a Sunday. The service doesn't start for you know, another hour and 15 minutes. Um, and you're here. You're wanting to learn. You're wanting to be a part of the family and do this together and see what is in this word that... We didn't know it was there prior to this morning, prior to last Sunday, prior to us picking up the book of Romans and deciding to go through it. Into verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that denotes the purpose of verse 3. So we pick up on that very first part of the line there. So that, just looking back again um, and making sure that we're connecting the dots here. There is still the requirement of the law and we are still bound by it, but not for justification purposes, rather for sanctification purposes.
now that we are in Christ, and now that we are know we are completely forgiven, there's zero condemnation for us. The law is beautiful. It is perfect. Paul mentioned that back in 7. It is good. And there's lots of good for us to have within it. We just have to make sure we understand and when we're sharing with others that that is a dividing line. It's not justification purposes. For the Christian, it's for sanctification purposes. For the non-Christian, it's for condemnation purposes. It is fulfilled through the believer's life. Now, we walk by the Spirit who allows our obedience. That Spirit of Christ who obeyed perfectly in His flesh while He lived His life with us on earth. That is the Spirit within us now. That is the Spirit that He had to leave earth for so that the Spirit would come to all of us. We once lived according to the flesh, allowing its dominance and direction, making us unable to obey the law. But now we walk and live according to the Spirit and in obedience to the law. Again, that's different for every believer in where we stand in our journey and in our walk with God. Some things, as newer believers, we do because it's part of our habits, it's part of the things that we're used to doing in our daily lives. And there's many things that I found out were sinful that I didn't know were sinful at all. As you learn and you grow and you bring in more godly influences into your life, into that inner circle that we have, um, and maybe push out some of the other influences that were in our inner circle that aren't very good godly influences, um, and you live with those who love Christ, we, we learn. Sometimes it's through study, through Bible study like this, or through a Sunday service or a Wednesday service, but sometimes it's it's through the Saturday morning women's breakfast. And sometimes it's through just getting together at someone's house. Um, lots of times it's just talking, just like friends. I learned from Travis, who, you know, he's left, but we still, we still talk quite a bit. And it's just talking about our lives and what's going on and what happened. And, and we learn together. And some of that's like, oh, yeah, he's calling that sinful. I do that all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we go and we check it with Scripture. And we find, we find what Scripture said. Because it's the ultimate authority uh, on that. It's not what our friends necessarily say. But if they're in Christ, we do trust them. And we just want to uh, live our lives by that too. There's lots of grace in the way we live, there's lots of doubtful things that one might find sinful and the other doesn't find sinful at all. We find that example um, you know, through just, just like alcohol, for example. We all know we aren't supposed to get drunk, but the difference between having a drink or not having a drink could be sinful to one person and not to the other. And 
there's there's grace in that, and we need to um, be wise in that and make wise decisions. But um, just because it's in, some of things are sinful for certain people doesn't necessarily mean they're sinful for others. That's based on what drives our our spirit. What God tells us is right or wrong, and we go against our conscience, knowing something's wrong, but saying, "Well, there's grace in it. I'm going to do it anyways." Um, that's that's us sinning against the Lord because He's putting that in our heart to say, yeah, "Stay away, stay away." But we go hang out with friends that are all doing this one thing, and we just join in because, well, yeah, I'll be I'll be forgiven. It won't be held against me. Um, we need to be conscious of that and be aware of that and not put ourselves in that situation and try not to put others in that situation either. The Ten Commandments are still observed. It does require our obedience. But our obedience is not only made possible, but our will to align with God's will is established through the Spirit that is in us. And it can only be done with the power of the Holy Spirit and it is never perfected in this life. And if Paul can't perfect it, then we shouldn't have that expectation either. But Paul does expect everyone to continue in their walk with God and in their sanctification. And he does say, not right here, but he does say to follow his example. Now with no condemnation we receive mercy and grace for our weakness and our flesh. And some are going, some people, may they say they're Christians and, and may they be, sometimes we're unsure, but they will say, uh, they will justify living a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word based on the merits of grace. Because they'll say, just like I contributed nothing to my salvation, now I can contribute nothing to taking that salvation being taken away from me. Um, and there's, there's people that will say that. There's Christians that will say that. So-called Christians, possibly, um, that will say that. And that's just not right. That's, that's not what is thought in... Scripture. That's not what Paul has taught. We've gone over this many, many, many times already, just up to chapter 8, where he said, well, shall we send more? May it never be. You know, and that's where Mark's coming out with the no. <laughs> and hammering down, because, yeah, Paul is saying, absolutely not. Uh, the Holy Spirit could never prompt a Christian to make such a foolish and ungodly statement. If we're saying that, or if someone you meet is saying that, that is not the Spirit of Christ in them saying that. And be aware. The Christian knows God's law as holy and righteous and good. And that is in Romans 7.12 where it's mentioned. Which is back a couple verses from where we were. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And the true Christian will know that in their heart. And they won't give that excuse to live the life that the world tells them they can live. Well, if you're completely forgiven and you can't do anything to lose it, then go do whatever you want. And Jen and I have been asked that by um, acquaintances of ours that we've shared the gospel with that were of the Mormon faith. And 
um, we were explaining the difference and what we believe and what they believe. And they said, well, why don't you just live this way then? And we were both like, no, you know? <laughs> and um, it's, it's harder to explain than it is to believe it. And I, I could explain it better now than I could then when that happened. Um, but it's because it's, it's in our heart. God put that in your heart. And we know the truth and we know that that would be sin to live that way. So it's very important to be conscious of that. God does not free men. I think this is on your line there. God does not free men from their sins in order for them to do as they please. but to do as He, capital H, pleases. God does not free men from their sins in order for them to do as they please, but to do as He, the Father, pleases. So important to remember. Yes, we are freed from the bondage of sin, from that grasp, that death grasp that will take us down into the depths with it. We are freed from that but not to live the life that the world tells us we should live. It's to live the life that Christ tells us we should live. The life that He lived, that He sacrificed for us at the prime of His life. Where He probably was doing the most good. And He did something better, although it didn't seem that way. The purpose of the gospel is not to make men happy, but to make them holy. And it will make them happy if they align with God's will and walk according to His purpose. We will find happiness in the joy that is produced from that. Joy is something so much stronger and deeper and has a much better grasp on our heart than happiness does. Happiness is temporary. Happiness will last, you know, as long as the, the, the meal at In-N-Out will last. Okay? It's great, but it's short-lived. Joy comes from knowing that our Father is there, that He is providing, that He has sent His Son that we have fellowship, that we have a church, that we have a body, that we have a word, that we know truth, that the Spirit lives inside of us, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's where joy comes from. And chapter 8 is so joyful and so great. And this is where we pull that from. And this is what sinks down deep inside. And this is what keeps us going day after day when things like to get us down and the world beats us down and things are the way that we think they should be or we expect they should be. That will produce happiness, but you might not be smiling every day and singing songs because there's rough things that we're going through, but you can still have joy. And that joy is what's driving us to continue living and not say, God, just take me now. Because there's lots and lots of joy in this life. Look at um, the life of David when he was running from Saul. 
soul. Running in a life of fear and for life and living in caves and you know in tough situations, but if you read through the Psalms, you see him crying out, but you also see I find my joy, I find my peace, I find my rest, and it all points back to Christ or to God. Um, and so, in the midst of tragedy, you know, of David's life. He's constantly falling back to his joyous peace, his comfort, his Absolutely. And as the world we live in today is ever-changing, and in some ways it seems like for the worst to a lot of us, um, there's lots of joy to be found in that. There's, there's joy uh, that will come of that, be produced through some of the trials or tribulations that we or your children or our children are put through. And we are to be joyful in that and rejoice and thank God for those. Lots of times those trials are what really grow our strength and our faith in our love, in our Lord, in our Savior. Okay. God's purpose for our lives was established before the beginning. And I love Ephesians. I just love it. Um, I had this as a screensaver on my desktop at work. Ephesians 1.3 God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. That is our stance. And He's known it since before the world was created. And He knew where He would have you at this moment of your life in time. And He's outside of time and He's so much bigger and so much more vast than we could ever imagine, and he's concerned with our day-to-day life, the moments that we're in, and he knew where we would be. And he's had this pre-planned from way before the beginning, and there is excitement to be had in that. So to apply this to us and to look at some ways to live this out as believers in Christ, renewed by the Spirit, We need to have intentional awareness of walking by the Spirit, thinking that we have that Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us. And lots of times we walk in our flesh throughout our day. Sometimes we get up late and we're rushed. We didn't get much sleep and there's lots to do. And we can go halfway through our day without even acknowledging God and Jesus in our heart and the spirit that's there wanting that communion with us. We need to be intentional about it. We need to make sure every morning we wake up and we thank Him for the day. We thank Him for the mercies that were new because He is forever faithful to us. Continually, always in it from the first moment of the day till the end. So if we're being intentional and making sure we do that, let's do it continually. Make sure it's at the beginning of your day. Wake up. Talk to God in that relationship. At the end of your day, make sure you're doing that as well. And where I've been learning to do it throughout my walk is throughout the middle of the day, especially at work that keeps me so busy. Um, And it was hard at first, and it's getting more and more and more continual as I practice it. Uh, Humbling. Must be yielding and submitting and surrendering to the Holy Spirit. And listening to the Spirit 
as he guides us, as we're intentionally and continually walking throughout our days. Obediently, this is willfully, joyfully, and voluntarily, happily from the heart, not out of compulsion that, oh, I have to do this now or I have to do that. If that's the attitude you're having about anything in life that you're trying to do out of obedience, um, take a step back and, and check your heart on that and ask why that's there. And maybe you're doing something that you don't need to do and you can replace that with something else. And prayerfully, and this, this is just so important. We're always in fellowship with God, asking for the ability to do this in Him. And that's really the only way to, to hit these other four points is to be praying about it throughout our day. Step by step, walk by walk, day by day. The more we do it, the more normal it'll be, become. And then it'll become a natural part of your day-to-day. Okay, run past. That's about it. Squeezed it all in. We got lots more to come in chapter eight. It's very exciting. Please bring your questions if you have any for this next week. Um, and we will dive into the next section of verses. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, thank you again for the time together. Thank you for this day that we can worship you as one body and one voice with one heart. May we lift our hearts to you in glorification of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, everyone.